When we abandoned the policy of America first, we started rebuilding other countries instead of our own. The skyscrapers went up in Beijing and many other cities around the world, while the factories and neighborhoods crumbled right here in Detroit. In August, Donald Trump, then still a candidate, laid out his economic agenda in a major speech. In it, he pledged to generate more manufacturing jobs for Americans, and he couldn't have chosen a more appropriate location, Detroit, the poster child for post-industrial decline. It did resound in a sense of wanting to bring back Detroit. In the audience was a 26-year-old Detroit native, A.K. Bennett. We've heard it, you know, a few times, you know, from multiple politicians, um, and there still hasn't been that true push to really bring things back um, in terms of manufacturing. But as president, Donald Trump has made a U.S. manufacturing revival one of his biggest priorities. In terms of uh, spurring new manufacturing and industry, um, there has not been a lot of outside help. Not a lot of outside help yet. But there is a chance that could be about to change. Just one month after Trump's November elections came the first promise to return significant jobs to U.S. shores. We're going to get things coming. We're going to get Apple to start building their damn computers and things in this country instead of in other countries. It's not Apple, but a company that works very closely with it. Foxconn is a Taiwanese company which makes the iPhone for Apple and the Xbox for Microsoft. It has promised to invest $7 billion in the U.S. and generate as many as 50,000 new jobs in the process. Hi, I'm Brad Stone. And I'm Alex Webb. And this week on Decrypted, we'll take a very close look at Foxconn's plan and whether it really will create those good American factory jobs that President Trump is calling for. This is our third episode in a series looking at the impact that automation could have on our jobs. If you have a story to share, send it to decrypted at Bloomberg.net. Advances in industrial automation are making it cheaper than ever to bring manufacturing jobs back to the U.S., but by its very nature, that's because it would require fewer workers on the factory floor. We'll see whether those jobs could still give a boost to communities in the heartland, and we'll find out what's in it for Foxconn. Stay with us. So, Alex, were you surprised by Foxconn's announcement that it was going to build a factory in the U.S.? Yeah, I've been looking really closely at like the costs of making iPhones and any other electronic device. And it's the labor costs which make a huge difference um, between China and the U.S. And that's why they do this stuff in, in, in these cities around China. There's so much theater right now around companies saying they're going to bring jobs back to the U.S. How real is this? And when, when do we think we'll see a Foxconn plant in the United States? It clearly takes a while to build these things up, but it could be, you know, next year that we see something. The, the question is, when they bring jobs back, quite how many jobs will come? And what kind of a boost does this give to potentially Rust Belt cities? A.K. Bennett comes from a family of auto workers. On both sides, of both my mother and father's side, I would say about 60 to 70 percent were employed in the, uh, by the big three. 
The so-called Big Three means they work for General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler. You know, through the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. But grandparents, uh, say two of my four grandparents were uh, multiple aunts, uncles, cousins. The post-war heyday of Motor City, it was kind of like a golden age for American manufacturing. Uh, there are still some cousins and uh, to this day that are working for the auto industry, whether it be for a supplier or one of the big three. But of course, it's not just Detroit. The whole Rust Belt was booming with industrial activity for much of the 20th century. Ohio typically ranked second only to Indiana in the U.S. in steel production. Wisconsin, meanwhile, fed that metallurgy industry with foundry and metalworking equipment, which were a staple of its economy. Donald Trump is quick to evoke those times. When he talks about manufacturing, what you have in mind are the jobs from the 1970s of people kind of standing on an assembly line, being able to go from high school into a good job that enables you to buy a house and a car and uh, have a pretty good life. That's Caroline Freund from the Peterson Institute, a D.C.-based economics think tank. And those jobs, frankly, don't exist anymore. There's a few issues at play here. One big problem has been the cost of full-time employment. American workers are more expensive than workers in China or other parts of the world. A factory worker here can cost close to $40 an hour when you take into account health insurance and other costs. His counterpart in China costs just one-tenth of that. But cheaper still are robots, which offer the tantalizing prospect of a U.S. manufacturing resurgence. The snag is that with robots doing a lot of the work, they probably won't bring back the millions of jobs that Trump is looking for. The number of Americans in manufacturing jobs has fallen from a 1979 peak of almost 20 million to about 12.4 million today. But industrial output in that time has gone up because factories are increasingly automated. That also helps explain why labor costs in the U.S. are higher. Rather than assembling components manually, these workers operate complex machinery, doing work that would otherwise be done by several people. If you look at manufacturing, there's a big increase in managerial work or work that requires computer or engineering skills and a decline in the production worker because robots can do those kind of routine tasks more efficiently. Back in Detroit, AK works as a project manager in the construction industry. Now, AK says he's not a Trump supporter, but he went to see Trump lay out his economic plan, and Detroit was also one of the final three locations that Foxconn is considering for a mega factory in the U.S. Detroit is up against Racine, Wisconsin, and Columbus, Ohio to win the plant, according to people familiar with the matter which means AK's in a pretty good place if a huge industrial building project comes to his town. This would be I mean, a massive project uh, that would, you know, there, there'd be thousands of trades uh, persons on site. But let's break this down. When Foxconn talks about creating 50,000 jobs in the U.S., it doesn't mean the factory will have 50,000 workers. That number also includes the people who build the plant and then work in the extended supply chain feeding it with components. The plant would be huge in terms of uh, construction jobs, design jobs, engineering jobs, and then um, going forward, spurring additional logistics and other suppliers, potentially. 
My understanding is from talking to sources that the factory could employ close to 10,000 people in the long term and that Foxconn could build other satellite plants elsewhere in the US. And Alex, what will they be making there? The idea would be that this main plant would make large LCD display panels, which would then be shipped to these other factories to make things like computer and TV screens. And um, these are the factories that Foxconn is thinking about building. Ah, so not the famous iPhone. Right. It, It still requires a lot of manual labor to put an iPhone together. So the iPhone isn't the ideal project to build in a highly automated factory in the US. LCD screens have been built by robots for years. So what specifically is holding back the iPhone from being produced or at least assembled in the US? So a lot of the components which go into an iPhone can be built by robots. But actually that final process of sticking all these bits together can require some really fiddly screws to piece it all together. And that's not something that's very easy for a robot to do. Right. Those fiddly screws are are difficult for robots. And tasks like printing silicon chips, that's far better suited for automation, which is why there is still so much semiconductor manufacturing in the U.S., right? Intel is building plants, particularly in Arizona, to build processors. Well, there's a somewhat morbid joke that the factory of the future will just have two employees, a human and a dog. That's Eric Brynjolfsson. He's a professor at the MIT Sloan School of Management and the co-author of the influential 2014 book, The Second Machine Age, Work, Progress and Prosperity in a Time of Brilliant Technologies. The human's job will be to feed the dog and the dog's job will be to keep the human from touching any of the equipment. Although I should say, we're probably not at the dog and human stage yet. But one thing Eric did emphasize to me is that for all the rhetoric we hear from politicians about how manufacturing will bring back jobs, for companies like Foxconn, this really isn't about jobs at all. You know, if you walk around a lot of American factories, they're virtually lights out with very few humans. And the few humans who are there, you know, they're paid pretty good wages. But it's not the thousands or millions of jobs we used to have in that kind of work. It's really the push to establish good relations with the Trump administration that is driving Foxconn here. And automation is what's making it possible. We'll dig into that some more later in the show. Companies usually employ consultants who help them find potential sites for new factories. It it always starts with sitting down with them and defining what exactly they need to be successful. I chatted with Darren Bulow. He's based in Chicago and leads Deloitte's site selection practice. We call those critical location factors. We really want to understand what makes them tick and what makes this new deployment of theirs successful. It's a process of elimination. We will be reviewing potential sites, actual actual properties, whether they're existing buildings or land sites that have what the client needs. The consultants have a list of criteria, things like labor costs, transport links, proximity to key suppliers and customers. Uh, From there, there's uh, always a due diligence process of uh, conducting additional analysis and study on the labor market, on the the technical aspects of the site itself from a a utilities and infrastructure perspective. We want to identify any possible risks before negotiations. With their short list of sites ready, the company then approaches the local government authorities to see what sweeteners they can offer. Those can come in three main forms, tax incentives and rebates, infrastructure improvements like new bus and subway stations, and labor incentives, usually education programs to train staff. Incentive packages can sometimes stretch into the hundreds of millions of dollars. 
Foxconn is being advised by EY, the consultant we probably know as Ernst & Young, which is helping it get the best possible deal. We said earlier in the show, our sources tell us that EY has whittled the shortlist down to Detroit and Michigan, Racine in Wisconsin, and Columbus in Ohio. But there's still one nagging question, Alex. What is in it for Foxconn? Hi, everyone. Every week, our team here at Bloomberg Technology spends so much work making sure that this show is great. And we have a special request to ask of you. If you like the show, um, please help us get the word out so more people can find us. Maybe you have a friend who likes technology a lot, who's never listened to a podcast before. Or if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and a review. To do that, just search for Decrypted, then hit write a review inside the reviews tab. Thanks so much for supporting our show. We spent ages puzzling over this. I will take your word for that. No, 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 seriously. I spoke to like tons of people over the course of several weeks trying to work out what exactly is the business appeal of Wisconsin or Michigan in particular. They don't check obvious boxes like having really good transport links, which could allow equipment to be shipped to Asia for final assembly or even proximity to customers. Well, what about proximity to car makers? I mean, all these automobile manufacturers now need new technology and the suppliers like Foxconn to help them put screens and digital technologies into their cars. Yeah, I did think about that because autonomous cars will give drivers more time to surf the web and watch films because they don't have to pay as much attention to the road. But if that were the case, they wanted to be near those customers, the South would probably make more sense. There are more luxury car makers there who are going to be perhaps the first to have the autonomous cars, and the labor costs there are lower. Well, lots of declining industry in the Midwest. Is there something to the to the kind of labor base and the availability of possible workers in you know former steel factories, former chemical factories that makes this appealing to Foxconn? Well, actually, the chemical factory idea we thought might be that you need chemicals to make LCD. And so proximity to those guys would help. And of course, you know, Detroit has a, a legacy workforce from the automotive industry, but it's still a very different kind of skill set you need to run an electronics factory. From all my conversations, it increasingly seemed like there could be another motivation at play. If you look at the Foxconn plan and the plant and the states that they're considering, um, it didn't surprise me that so many of them happened to be swing states. That's Caroline, the economist we heard from earlier. That's a good point. In Wisconsin, Trump won with a margin of 23,000 votes and had just 11,000 more votes than Hillary Clinton in the state of Michigan. In Ohio, my home state, Trump had a more substantial victory, but it has long been considered a swing state. Well, look, the, the sheer dollars are significant, I think, for any state. David Welch is the Bloomberg bureau chief in Detroit. He's been keeping his ear close to the ground as Foxconn whittles down its shortlist. I asked him how significant an investment the plant would be for the region. But this would really tower in its importance for, for southeast Michigan because the, the state's been trying to wean itself off of its massive reliance on the auto industry for a long time with, with not a lot of success. The two other sites in the running have a similar story to tell. In Racine, politicians have worked hard to reduce unemployment from a 2010 peak of 18% by bringing in new investment. It now stands at about 5%. Columbus is perhaps the town that needs the investment the least, but that also means it already has a strong labor force which would suit Foxconn's needs. 
Any governor trying to attract a new manufacturing project has to negotiate a delicate balance between trying to attract projects that will create jobs, but without appearing to pander to big business. Here's what David said about Michigan's Republican governor, Rick Snyder. Governor Snyder has not been a big fan of just handing money to companies. He's been more interested in building infrastructure, giving training grants, and and, and sort of facilitating um, as opposed to throwing money at people uh, or companies. And what about the political calculation, Alex? Trump won all three states in the last election, but the wins in Michigan and Wisconsin were both unexpected and critical. If it really is a political calculation, Michigan and Wisconsin have got to be favorites because they had had such a narrow margin of victory for the Republicans last time around. But whichever state eventually wins the mega plant, Trump will likely be able to take credit for it. And Trump is going to be telling, you know, in, in a couple of years, he's going to be telling the people in this area, hey, look, you know, I got you. So particularly if it's Michigan, I got you a huge plant that's, that's not automotive. I brought you something else. And you know, we're talking about a few thousand workers. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big deal, no question. Okay, so even if Foxconn's mega plant is going to be very highly automated, it's still going to create investment to give a boost to a city like Detroit. So there's a clear advantage to Trump in building a plant here, but what's in it for Foxconn? The short answer is that having a factory in the US could make life easier for Foxconn when it tries to import iPhones made in China. Okay, so I think I get it. If Foxconn builds a plant, or even several plants, employing thousands of workers in the U.S., it could convince Trump not to slap import duties on iPhones made in China and shipped to the States. Exactly, because Foxconn could, fairly, say it's already bringing jobs here. And bringing iPhone manufacturing to the U.S. would be a far more involved prospect. Yes, because replicating the rich ecosystem of suppliers that exist around these main manufacturing hubs in China would be incredibly complicated. Right. And as we discussed earlier, iPhone production is just much harder to automate than making displays. In a sense, you could say that Foxconn is buying a stay of execution for its Chinese iPhone making business. Okay, so in a sense, we're, we're seeing three tiers of manufacturing. You have basic repetitive tasks, which can be done by robots more complex tasks, which at present need a lot of manpower, and a high-level automation, which requires small numbers of staff and their dogs, who might even need engineering degrees. Deloitte has one forecast showing the U.S. could be more competitive than China as soon as 2020 because of this. And while it's not yet clear who will win the race when it comes to attracting high-tech manufacturing projects, the bleak reality facing many American workers is the possibility that large-scale manufacturing is unlikely ever to return. With automation, you know, you may have a job for five years, but in five years, that job could be gone to a robot. And that's it for this week's Decrypted. Thanks for listening. We always like to hear what you think of the show. Record a voice message and send it to decrypted at bloomberg.net, or I'm on Twitter at ATBWeb. And I'm at Brad Stone. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps more listeners find the show. This episode was produced by Pierre Gadkari, Liz Smith, and Magnus Henriksen. Thanks to Isabel Gottlieb for her help on today's show, as well as David Welch in Detroit and John McCormick in Chicago for their tireless hounding of the story in Michigan and Wisconsin. Alistair Barr edited my print story about Foxconn's mega plant, which you can read at bloomberg.com forward slash tech. 
Alec McCabe is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week.